Plundergrounds, episode 136, Catching Up. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hi, hello, how are you? This is Ray Otis, and it's time for another Plundergrounds. I've got kind of a grab bag of things to talk about today, and a few call-ins, so let's start with those. Hey, Ray, it's Joe. Really interesting episode on using cards in RPGs. Uh, so there's this fun actual play I listen to called Pretend Friends, where they're playing a game that's based... It's, it's all using a regular standard poker deck. It's a role-playing game called... The game is called Space Kings. The podcast is called Pretend Friends. I think the dudes are really funny. The guy running the game is the guy who wrote the game. So... I don't know. The humor is absolutely <laughs> it's absolutely not for everyone. I think those dudes are hilarious. So maybe check it out. Yeah, I don't know if I'm the hugest fan of cards in role playing games, but whatever teach their own. I do, however, think that cards will absolutely feature in some way in uh, six edition D&D. Watsy, they know where their bread's buttered and it's with Magic the Gathering. So they're going to make the merger as soon as they can. Anyway, peace out. Thanks for that recommendation, Joe. If you don't know Joe, he does the Hindsightless podcast and also the Wheel or Woe actual play podcast. Hindsightless is given over to gaming topics, much like this show is, and Wheel or Woe is Joe and his friends playing Pathfinder. So uh, if you're looking for a high-energy, positive show, you can find that in Joe's work, and I recommend that you go hunt him down. Yeah, Joe, I, I kind of agree with you in the end. I'm not sure that I'm totally a fan of using cards in role-playing games. It's cool. Um, it's different. We are struggling with the pacing of it a little bit in our game. The fiction's progressing really nicely, but the mechanics, we're still trying to figure out the rhythm of it. And, um, you know, there's some kind of gameism there where you are fiddling with the cards mechanically in a way that you wouldn't be with dice. Dice seem to be a little bit smoother and faster, but maybe I'll feel differently about that in a couple of weeks. And I don't want to make any firm, you know, calls on that one way or the other. I've been playing with dice for years and I've only rarely played with cards as an RPG mechanic. And so it could just be facility. Um, but I appreciate your thoughts on that and stay tuned, I guess, for, for further thoughts that I might have down line on cards versus dice. Next up, we have the Lonely Adventurer who does the Camping with Owlbears podcast, and he has started the Gygax 75 challenge. Hey, Ray, Lonely Adventurer here. Welcome back to the land of podcasting. Uh, a little bummed when uh, you took your hiatus, especially since it's your fault I'm podcasting. <laughs> anyway, welcome back. Really enjoyed the final wrap-up to the uh, Gygax 74 challenge. I've actually been doing a bit of world building for my home game, uh, which took a major left turn that I was unprepared for. So uh, it's been kind of sporadic and disorganized new world building at this point. So I think maybe I will I will download that booklet and uh, get some structure in there so uh, my GM anxiety can take a rest. <laughs> All right, man, you take it easy. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for that call in, Lonely Adventurer. Yes, I suppose I can take credit for getting you started. Um, Lonely does a blog, uh, erstwhile blog called Camping with Owlbears, and I 
um, he called in to one show and mentioned the blog and I just mentioned it by name. And I thought, man, that's a great sounding podcast. I got to go check that out. Didn't know it was a blog and not a podcast. And now it is a podcast, uh, partially because I pressured him there. He did say Gygax 74 in his message. Um, the title of the booklet is Gygax 75, but we won't hold that against him because he's actually referencing the year that D and D was released 1974. And, um, you know, it's only one year off, so <laughs> it's an honest mistake and, and a mistake somebody in the know would make. So that's cool. But I just want to make sure that you knew it was 75 if you're out there looking for the book. And there'll be a link in my show notes at plundergrounds.blogspot.com. As always, it is, if you don't know, Gygax 75 is based on an article that Gygax wrote in 1975 in a magazine called Europa, which is a, a kind of a wargaming, mostly diplomacy, I think, um, um, uh, you know, newsletter. I hate to call it a magazine. It was more of a, a homegrown, you know, uh, photographed and or maybe even on a mimeograph uh, produced kind of thing that just got circulated among uh, a small group of, of interested wargaming fans. It was a pretty small circle back then, but Guy Gax wrote an article about a three part article actually. And I read parts two and I found part three. So I've, I've read two parts of it and never seen the first part. But the second part was about putting together a campaign world. And I took the advice in that article, which I think is still quite good, although it's it's fairly vague. And I made a workbook out of it with achievable tasks that you do on a week-by-week basis. So there's kind of four weeks of serious work. And then there's a fifth week that's a bit of a wrap-up week that allows you to kind of circle back to some of the the loose ends that you've put there before and gives you some idea for future directions. But the impetus is on building something manageable that you can get to the table right away and then let your players help you uh, help you build the setting. Now, I've had a number of people call in or write in or email me to tell me about their efforts with Gygax 75. Uh, I know for sure that Josh Beckelheimer has started or is getting ready to start. So the same is true of Jason, uh, who does the RPG Variety Podcast. Uh, no, our, our nerd, see, RPG Nerd Variety Podcast or Nerd RPG Variety Podcast. Oh, well, that'll also be in the show notes, the link. I can't, can't remember which of the two it is right off the top of my head. Uh, it's nerd first because I'm singing this, the, his, his awesome theme song in my head right now, which was written by TJ Drennan, the theme song. Uh, okay. So, so those two are doing it. Shane Ward, um, the lonely adventurer and, uh, um, a fellow named Rob a have all written me to show me some of their stuff. And I'm going to put some of the images up in the blog uh, where my show notes are, they're incredible. Some of these drawings, uh, Lonely Adventurers is is uh, good enough to go in a published RPG setting like right now. The drawing is amazing. Yeah, he really kind of took it all the way. But these kind of hastily scribbled pages that people have been photographing with their iPhones and sending me, I just love. Some of them are more polished and organized than others, but they're all super cool and that they communicate a lot of energy and excitement and creativity that's going on. So I'm glad to have been some sort of catalyst to help people get to that spot, um, gives them something to do in this weird time. I think this is a great time for, for us all to rediscover things like reading and writing and planning and, uh, you know, just uh, personal projects. I've had several friends building furniture and things like that. <laughs> home projects. I know Home Depot is crazy busy right now, which is our local, you know, lumber yard slash superstore. Um, Lowe's, Home Depot, those kind of things. Menards, if you're in that kind of area, I don't know what that is overseas, but I know everybody's busy with these projects, lots of baking, lots of creativity going on. And I think 
um, if there's a good side to all of this mess, that might be it, uh, is that we are learning how to live differently, spending a little more time, you know, with ourselves and our families, a little more centered time, a little slower pace. Uh, it's all kind of exciting that way. And I say that as a non-essential worker, which is, is, is weird. Um, a weird label to put on oneself. <laughs> I'm, I'm non-essential. <laughs> what I mean is that um, I realize that my reality is different than other people's realities. People that are in essential jobs who have to go to work every day are uh, not only not sort of getting to participate in this slower pace and stay at home. Um, they're out there risking themselves and working ridiculous hours and uh, just in general, carrying a lot of the weight for the rest of us. And I, you know, I should acknowledge that when I, when I make all my statements there and, and I want to. So I mentioned that I've got a grab bag of things to talk about and I'm serious. I don't have any fully formed thoughts to share with you today. It's just a whole bunch of random things that I've been involved in. Um, a while back, I thought I might podcast on the subject of matter guffins, which was my cute way of saying MacGuffins, but MacGuffins that actually had meaning behind them. Uh, so that's a thought for somebody else to pick up, I think. But the, you know, the concept there is pretty simple and it's that, um, MacGuffins are, are a typical plot device that people use, like the, the Rod of Seven Parts or Rescue the Princess or whatever. It's some object that you quest for or against or, um, you know, and, and often the, the purpose is just to get things in motion. And it's a reason, but I, I was wanting to talk about how you could transform a MacGuffin into something more meaningful uh, and less of a plot device and call it a matter guffin. So if I have more thoughts on that, I'll share them at some point in the future. I've also been reading some Moorcock. I've actually been reading Jack Vance and, and Michael Moorcock in alternation. I'm um, listening to Jack Vance's Dying Earth and kind of following along at times on my Kindle. Uh, so that one's kind of an electronic pleasure. And then when I have physical reading time, when I've got a book in front of me, it's Moorcock's Quorum series, which I had never read before. It's the Swords trilogy. I think there's two trilogies. I'm reading the first one right now, which is the uh, Knight of Swords, the Queen of Swords, and the King of Swords, in which, um, and not too too much in the way of spoilers, but Quorum goes up against uh, gods of chaos uh, over multiple realms. It's got kind of a planar, uh, eternal champion kind of feel to it. It, which is quite cool. I expected not to like that because I often don't like those kind of meta devices that uh, break fiction in a way to connect books to, you know, heroes in one book to heroes in another book. But this one's done in, in a very cool and fairly subtle way. You can kind of jettison it. Um, maybe subtle is not the right word. It's actually really overt. It's just uh, it's just a fairly minor part of the workings and it's handled casually enough and interestingly enough that it, it doesn't bother me. Uh, but I have loved the creativity in the stories. One thing I don't love about Moorcock is his characters are very hard to empathize with um, for good or ill. I mean, I, I don't really care about whether the narrator is somebody I like or not uh, of a story or the main character of a story is somebody I like or not. It's really more about, can I just understand them as a, as a, a, a person, but Moorcock's characters are fairly shallow. Um, maybe shallow isn't the right word. Um, they are, they're iconic. They're archetypal more than they are like living, breathing characters in a way. But Quorum is a pretty cool hero for all of that. He is from an elder race. Uh, Moorcock rarely calls his 
main characters elves, but they have they have that kind of elvish feel to them. So uh, we think a lot of times people think of Elric as an elf. He's not. Um, he's never said anywhere that he's an elf. <laughs> uh, the same thing is true of Corum. Corum is a member of a race called the Vadig, which is an older race. They have kind of elongated skulls and and almond eyes, big big eyes, and and uh, pointy ears, tapered ears. I think is how he says it. Um, and their their eyes are gold and purple. I can't remember. I think the eye, I think the white of the eye is purple, and then the iris would be gold. But I could, have, I might have that backwards. Um, one of the cool things about Quorum as a character is that, and I uh, this is is this a spoiler? I suppose it is, but it happens middle of the first book, and it's kind of iconic to the character. And if you've ever seen a drawing of the character, or if you were looking at the cover of a book, you would probably see this. Uh, although the cover of my edition is really crappy, it doesn't look like it belongs on the book at all. It's not a bad painting, but I've got the paperback uh, chronicles corrected, uh, collected uh, books one, two, three. Uh, the older paperbacks have really great covers. I can't remember the artist who did them, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll look it up here and, and, uh, mention it on the podcast. They have almost like a stained glass kind of style to them. Well, I'm getting off track. Uh, uh, so Coram, the, the kind of soft spoiler I wanted to give here was about, uh, how he looks and, and functions as a, as a heroic character. So some things happen to him in the first story and he ends up with, uh, a, a mechanical magical eye and hand. He has this eye that I picture as kind of insectoid. It's multifaceted. Um, and he wears an eye patch over it. And when he lifts the eye patch, he can see into this other dimension that is kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a grave dimension uh, where he can uh, he can pull some fairly macabre help. Um, I won't give too much of that away because it's 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 an interesting provides him with a little bit of an interesting moral dilemma. It's something he doesn't want to rely on all the time, although it's extremely powerful. And then he has this uh, six-fingered hand, which I don't remember if it's described very well, but in my head, I picture it as having two thumbs, like one on either side of the hand. <laughs> but I think it really just has an extra finger. I don't, uh, Moorcock never says it has like a second oppo- opposable thumb. I just like to think of it that way. It seems like it'd be more useful. Well, uh, so Coram has, um, the, the hand is powerful, but he doesn't have full control over it. It has a little bit of a murderous intent on its own. Sometimes it saves it. Sometimes it commits fairly horrendous acts in doing so. And uh, so it's just something that he has to live with. He's more or less than, than uh, I would say human, but uh, Vatic. <laughs> his his, his uh, form of uh, in, intelligence, his uh, form of his form of humanity, right, is is compromised by these things. And uh, and also the fact that he's lost most of his race um, and um, may in fact be the last remnant of his people. So there's some, uh, there's some further spoilers I could give there and I won't. So I hope I, uh, maybe I've teased that enough to, to get you interested in the stories. They're very mythic in nature. They borrow from a kind of Welsh mythology in the sense of naming the, the names have that kind of sound to them, that little bit Norse, a little bit Welsh sounding stuff. Um, it's got a very idyllic, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say romantic, but kind of a high fantasy setting, but with some science mixed in. So lots of, it's very swords and sorcery in that regard. And I'm loving it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I actually heard this was one of his weaker series. Uh, and I, and I don't know that that's been true for me so far. It doesn't have some of the oomph that, um, 
uh, Elric stories have, but it actually is is quite enjoyable nonetheless in a different way. I think the storytelling is a little more coherent in these, and probably because it didn't start off as a series of short stories that were written as novels, and they feel like that, whereas the Elric stories were uh, written in a whole bunch of different stories that kind of jump around over time both the author's life in terms of when he was writing them and the chronology of the character jumps around. So it's fairly hard to put those in kind of an order that makes them feel all of a piece, if you will. It's, it's always a fix up kind of scenario. All right. What else do I have on my list here? Well, um, uh, I picked up the OSE player screen, which is freaking amazing. Uh, the art is by Stefan Poig and it's a three panel horizontal GM screen uh, with really thick cardboard, nice looking tables. It's got that same design that you would see inside the books. It's four columns with really readable fonts and some kind of light green uh, highlighting for alternating table rows and things like that. And I picked up the, um, because I'm an idiot, um, <laughs> maybe because I, I have no self-control, I picked up the new cover for the rules tome and the player's rules tome, which I think is quite nice. The player's rule tome is a thinner version that you could use just as like a player's handbook. So that's all very cool. I've also been catching up on a lot of podcasts. I'm, I'm still quite behind, actually, <laughs> but uh, been some really good ones lately. I think during this period that uh, people have put out some extra episodes or maybe spend a little more time on their episodes, and it's really making for some great content. I just got through listening to Gaming and BS and uh, had, a, had a guest on there, Jason Hobbs, talking about the low fantasy game. So that was a really nice breakdown of that game and uh, really gave me enough to go on to decide whether I was interested in picking it up or not. I won't spoil that. I'll let you make your own decision, but it, that's a, that was a great show. Um, Judd Carlman, who does daydreaming about dragons, just about a, a really great show about, uh, gosh, what was he talking about? Oh, he's talking about, um, kind of generating, uh, notes for, uh, for improvised play or really just for any kind of play. And it was a very simple system where you fold a piece of paper into quarters and then label each quarter a different, uh, according to like a different taxonomy or, or categorization of ideas and then uh, making notes on those and kind of to build a little bit of, of items to go off of, you know, little hooks for your brain to follow up on storyline wise. And I thought that was really cool. He also did a, um, a neat post on his Gith Yankee blog recently about asking players questions, sorry, asking characters questions relative to their D and D style attributes. So questions about strength, if their strength is particularly high or low uh, questions about, you know, dexterity or charisma or whatever, and questions that you can ask that help flesh out those numbers and make them more meaningful than just a stat on the paper. And then I think um, one of the ones I listened to in the last half hour or 45 minutes was uh, Jeff Collier's Tome of All Dooms. And he was talking about the Iron Sworn RPG, which is something you can pick up for free on drive through RPG. There's a, um, a free PDF version. And if you like the PDF version, then you can go pick it up in print. And he gives a really nice review of that on his Tome of All Dooms. Um, and it sounds very interesting to me. It sounds like it has uh, a... Uh, solo play component that's that's possible certainly lots of tables and uh it's kind of a gritty fantasy um and as i understand it the first book is more of a above ground kind of a, a questing uh kind of uh, 
uh, structure, I should say. It's not a setting per se. But and then there's a second one uh, that's about the delve that that kind of goes more into dungeon delving. So yeah, yeah, it's called Iron Sword, Iron Sworn Delve: Perilous Expeditions for the Iron Sworn RPG. So that's uh, that's the second book in the series. And uh, the layout and design and text and everything look quite nice from what I've seen of it, but I haven't read it yet. Uh, and so you can go listen to to Jeff talk about that if you want to know more about that system. Well, uh, that's probably enough to be going on with for today. I'll make sure I get back on the mics early next week with a a different thought, maybe to kind of help pass some of the time. If you've got commutes going or a lot of spare time uh, for listening to podcasts, uh, I certainly probably have ideas to fill it with. (laughs) Try not to abuse my, my mic too much. But uh, so I'll keep this one from, you know, going on past the half hour mark. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I've been Ray Otis, and this has been Plundergrounds. My cool theme song is by Logan Howard, who does the Swordbreaker zine and podcast, although I don't believe he's put out either one of those things for a while. So uh, if you're listening, Logan, we miss you, buddy. Uh, get, get, back in, get back in the swing if you can. And uh, I'll see you next time, and look out for those rust monsters. <laughs>